Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Uh, We have two returning guests, but who have never been on the show together. But I need to get something out of this experience that uh, we all three uh, experience. And it's a play called Fat Ham. And I saw it with Mtume. And then uh, Josh saw it. When did you see it, Josh? Uh, I saw it like a week ago, I want to say. Uh, yeah. Actually, no, it was like it was on Friday. I saw it just this past Friday. So it's, oh, yeah, it's so, still pretty fresh in my memory. So it wasn't even okay. uh, a whole week. But yeah. Yeah. I'll let you guys um, introduce yourselves. Uh, let me start with them too, May. Um, too, May, I'm sure everyone who listens to the show knows who you are. But just in the case this is anybody's first episode, just give people a quick breakdown of uh, who you are. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Tuma Gant. I'm a filmmaker, dramatist, and also film professor. Um, yeah, and artists and things like that. Yeah. And I'm happy to be back on. Yeah, happy to have you. Josh, if you don't mind just uh, introducing the people and know who you are. Sweet. Yeah, uh, I'm Josh Borman. Uh, I am the co-host of a show called The Worst of All Possible Worlds. Uh, and, you know, Trevor, you've been on our show before. I've been on your before. I've been on your show before. And uh, yeah, really excited to be back and talk about this fucking terrible play. Now, there was a perverse part of me that was hoping um, Josh should be one of the white people who likes this play. <laughs> uh, just because just I want to pick the brain of somebody but also, I feel like it would be too painful to talk to someone who like the, you know, like I'd never be able to look at Josh the same again. So, <laughs> I mean, I, no. I, I, yeah, I think that like if you have questions at different points about like what was this thing trying to do to uh, your average, I guess, white person, I might be able to shed some light, even if it's not my own personal opinion necessarily. Because there, there were a few things about this play where I was like, I see what it's going for here, even though it fails to do that. Um, but yeah, no, I agree that somebody who's like totally in the tank for this thing would most likely be deeply cringe. I feel like this play was written by a human bot. What I mean by that is like, you know, uh, uh, AI and machine learning and stuff, they have to kind of get inputs, you know, to kind of simulate something realistic. Like no matter how well you program the algorithm, it needs some observation of like, you know, human um behavior and some you know like so for example uh i don't know how many people know this but those captures and all the stuff that they have you know on google whenever you sign into things and they make you click the lights and the hills and all mm-hmm. that stuff or they make you type in what the um scribble is because they're trying to use you to train the, their ai so right uh, we're all part of this giant experiment and it needs like a lot, a lot of observation of um, correct um, behavior, but also even the ways in which you're wrong, you know, kind of help, uh, you know, program it and whatever. And I feel like this is the kind of thing that's written by AI, like like someone just fed in Strange Loop. They fed in like maybe Hamilton. They fed in like a bunch of, you know, things. They fed in Shakespeare's kinda- Hamlet, obviously. 
Yeah, exactly. Ham Hamlet. Uh, you, you know, like um, all those like plays and TV shows that are about quote unquote reclaiming something white that was never you know black in the first place you know like what they do with lovecraft country i feel like there was a little bit of that in there yeah and none of it cohered into anything like it felt like there's nothing wrong with taking from like four or five different things that are in like the cultural ether but you have to find a way to synthesize them and make them work and this is this just felt like an unfinished AI just slapped together like five things it observed. Didn't try to make them cohere at all. That's yeah. That's my take. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe we should summarize the play for the people at some point. But I, I think I, I, I'm totally with you, Trevor. And I think I think it's an example of whether it's conscious or subconscious that the playwright knows actually to make a play like that successful he kind of has to synthesize yeah little things that are in the popular discourse and then also like and then keep it ominous like i think the thing and we can get to it then that show pissed me off on multiple levels but i i felt like the ending of the show we can get to that later Ooh. was um prime example that the show really committed to nothing um, and I think that's purposeful. And I think that's really interesting for this age where all these people seem to act like they have these deep fucking convictions, but they can't write a fucking play that has like, you know, a solid statement about something, you know, like it's so weird. There's so like bad everybody I else. I don't think they're trying to. That's what I'm feel- saying. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. They're yeah. not trying it. And, and it's, but, but they are the same people who shit on people for like, Oh, you're being wishy-washy. Oh, why are you not supporting people? Why are you not? And I'm like, you write wishy-washy plays. Get the fuck out of here. You know? <laughs> but but to them, wishy-washy means something totally different than it does to us. Because to them, the point of art is to uh, is self-esteem management. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so it's like to them, wishy-washy means you weren't overt enough in affirming. You know, um, the things that need to be affirmed. You didn't affirm POC. You didn't affirm dark-skinned people versus light-skinned people. Like They wanted just beaten over the head. Like, I saw this... um, show the other day i was just kind of curious about what it was like it was already it's already canceled but it's an ava duvernay produced show called naomi it's a black woman superhero oh, show yeah yeah yeah. it's on mm-hmm. hbo max and i was just kind of curious because it was in the hbo max selection uh thing so i i turned it on in the first five minutes i swear is just like hey naomi how you doing got i heard you got a's all a's again yeah well you know yeah and everyone's talking in exposition like no one talks like this because yeah hey y'all it's it's naomi who has the best superman fan site in the whole school that's how this play started off too it was very very similar where like i mean we might as well just dive into because again i've got a lot of notes here so if need be i can just kind of guide us through like recapping it beat by beat oh yeah Um, yeah 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 yeah. please please do but i mean like i watched Top Gun, the original, uh, a couple weeks before. And that's something that's totally up its own protagonist ass. But mm-hmm. in comparison, it's so much more uh, 
subtle because at least it comes up in what seems like natural conversation like you know is it's like someone says uh hey maverick who graduated third from third from <laughs> of, of <laughs> class and did this 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 you know yeah uh, top gun academy top gun that's not- where we are <laughs> <laughs> but top gun's also not socially self-important at the end of the day yeah, you know even for all of its you know weird um kind of off propaganda during the cold war it's pretty silly at the end of the fucking day you know it's a it's a male virility well and also like you say it's a um it, it's, it's definitely a very homoerotic movie oh the original but, absolutely yeah, yeah original but fat ham is so self-important and yes. that's what's yeah. weird to me yes we're like these people are so self-important yet they commit to no statements other than like be joyful. <laughs> uh, no, no. They commit to statements. Uh, being fat is awesome. Being queer is awesome. Being black is Even awesome. That, but that's so thin. Right. It's oh, it's so, so thin. thin. It's so thin. But, but to them, it's thick. To them, that's the whole That's the whole meal. It, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, totally it's, it's dummy for thick. It's matter, the carbs, fact. right? It's the carbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, you're absolutely right. Um, if, if I, I, <laughs> when I got into the theater to start watching, I had actually just gotten back from, I had been down at Washington Square Park because this, the day that I saw the episode was the day that that Supreme Court decision dropped, um, making abortion illegal in a lot of states. So, uh, fair to say that a lot of people were not doing well. Um, and I usually try not to like snoop over the shoulders of people, but for some reason, the woman right in front of me, I just noticed that she was writing, uh, something in her phone and she was typing and I quote, I've spent the day fighting with Bernie bros and anti-choice Catholics, but now I'm seeing fat ham. So this will be exactly what I need. And so I, you know, one thing that we talk about a lot on our show is the question of like, who is this for? This show is for that lady. It is for her specifically, I think. <laughs> Do you ever wonder, like, there but for the grace of God go I? Like, you know, going to school, you know, uh, you're in you're in academia, M2, May, you know, like, being on the internet. Like, we could have been one of those people. But then part of me thinks, would I just be, like, way happier? Like, I would just be so easily pleased by everything. Like, they must have I, all I, of the I, I have blood. that thought all the time. Yeah, I'd be thinking about it. I mean... I wouldn't want to do it, but I just sometimes wonder, like, imagine being the person that could be pleased by this. Like, like you know, your bar being that low. It's just, I don't know. But but this play, right? Uh, I'm going to start with a summary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went in there. I like going into plays and TV shows and movies, if I can, knowing nothing. So all I knew was called Fat Ham. And I forgot when I figured it out. It was relatively early like about five or ten minutes in um still probably later than i should have but i was sitting there and then it clicked to me i was like oh my god is this about a fat hamlet like (laughs) i'm like no this that's the title that's the title of the play yeah i'm like is this hamlet and i said oh wait this is fat ham but there has to be more to this than just being a fat black version of hamlet but Pretty much what it was, and it was yeah. And, 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 I don't know what it was trying to say. I don't know if it was trying to be body part. I, I mean, I I don't know. And then I think the queerness, okay, the blackness, the fatness, the queerness. I'm I'm telling you, I just think it was just trying to take a lot from Strange Loop. And then there was also like the idea of reclaiming something. So you know, I was thinking like Hamilton, like oh, we're reclaiming the founding fathers and making them ours. 
oh, we're yeah. taking uh, H.P. Lovecraft and making it making it ours and quote unquote uh, reclaiming it, which makes no sense because I don't know how you can claim something that was re reclaim something that was never originally yours. But for the most part, it's just Hamlet, but with a lot of tongue in cheek kind of mm-hmm. Easter eggs. Very self pleased at itself for. I'm not sure why it's so pleased with itself. It's very pleased with itself. Yeah. You know, and there is a tradition of um, people of color doing versions of European classics and readapting them. Like there was the one in the, in the aughts, uh, the drowning crow, which was a black adaptation of the seagull by, by Chekhov. I know it. Cause I was actually in a, an original reading of it. Is it good? Uh, no, it's not. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, what's his name started in Anthony Mackie actually started in it, um, back in it. It was on Broadway in like, I think Oh five or something hmm. like that. And it's not very good. It's just, it's just the seagull with like modern day black language. It's, it's, and I think it actually is probably a quiet inspiration of a lot of shit like fat ham because it, it, it does it does i forget the who's the woman who wrote it she's someone who's known regina uh regina taylor um she wrote it and and she's she's like someone in the, in the theater community who has you know a kind of reputable rep, rep, uh you know name so Oh, I'm looking it's at this now. It like, got started in Chicago, apparently. Yeah, and, uh, it got started in Chicago. Then there was a... Yeah, I did a reading of it at Baltimore Center Stage. Oh, okay. Either 03 or 04, Marion McClinton, who was, you know, the the second August Wilson director, directed um, He directed it. You know, it had a lot behind it. But there's always... There's been this thing that's existed and fat huh. ham kind of slides itself in there but i think fat ham goes to another level like i thought the drying crotus wasn't very imaginative like i love the seagull i'm a big checkoff fan but i found it like you're not really doing anything let's just fucking act check off with, with black people and call it a fucking day you, you didn't really add anything um uh, here's another example how about uh carmen jones i feel like that's an ex- example of taking something european and making it black you know it's funny that's a movie to me that i find kind of flawed but same compared to this oh my god oh no <laughs> like, dude it's 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 far beyond dude like i, I wouldn't or like the whiz Oh, yeah, yeah. The, this is a great one. The Wiz, you know, but, the Wiz is probably, you know, classically the 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 the, 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 the high mark. But I think these 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 shows are a little different because I think Chekhov and Shakespeare hold a certain, you know, in the theater world, they have this this reverence. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because like, you know, like when I was, you know, I don't know if people know, like, I studied, you know, classical acting and, you know, your first year you do a lot of American plays typically, but then like your checkoff and your Shakespeare years are the years you cut your teeth. And those are the years that you can prove that you're really an actor. So checkoff and Shakespeare kind of hold these like these like high levels, you know, and I think him doing a thing on and and, and it's not just like he did. He didn't do Midsummer Night's Dream also. He motherfucker did Hamlet. Well, right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, to, to the point of the Wiz, like that that part of the reason that the Wiz is, is, is so ripe for a fun adaptation is that the Wizard of Oz is fun. Hamlet is not. No, <laughs> it's long, <laughs> complicated. 
and it, it could be a chore. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I've, I've seen Hamlet twice, you know, in my life, you know, and one time was really a chore. The second time was like less of a chore. Well, I, uh, chore. <laughs> my history with Hamlet is I did a college production of it. I was assistant wow. director on it. And that was like, as is to be expected from a college production, a horrible goddamn production. And even so, Hamlet has always been a really interesting play for me because it is definitely, of all of Shakespeare's plays, it is one of the ones that is the most, I guess, inward-facing in a lot of ways, right? Like, you yeah. have this protagonist who's a real enigma, but, which again... <laughs> such a strange choice to do in this kind of an adaptation due to who that character is. But um, it, it, I have seen a lot of different productions of Hamlet. And so as soon as I grokked onto what the thing was doing, which was right away, actually, because in the playbill, there was a note that was like, this isn't just Hamlet. <laughs> the, the, the oh, right right I hated was like, that thing. It was like, no, it, yeah, it is. It is. Come on. It's the same thing we said. Uh, does anybody have it in front of them that they can read it? No. And I can, I can go find it real quick. If 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 it's useful, um, it's definitely yeah, around I here think, somewhere. Uh, yeah, actually, no, I know exactly where mine is. Let, let me just go get mine real quick. I know exactly where it is. Hold on. Got these playbills. Wrong show. Oh god, yeah. I mean, I didn't like that show either, but that show didn't piss me off as much as it. Yeah, pissed. no, because because that was the thing it too. Bored right? me. <laughs> yeah, and there were a couple moments where I was like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, um, that's cute. Yes. Yeah, there were a few annoying moments, like 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 the barbershop moment really pissed me yeah, off. If yeah. I had thoughts of a colored man, but yeah. I got over it. Yeah, I just didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice, thoughts, you got it. Yeah, thoughts of a colored man was really rough around the edges, but it was like I'm okay with a lot of other people's. As in, like I saw some people who went to it and really liked it, and I think it was one of those um, plays where you know a lot of plays claim. Like, um, you know, uh, Jeremy Harris was claiming that he was bringing people who don't normally go to Broadway to Broadway and all this stuff. And that was like a load of crap, you know, like, like he's trying to make it seem like regular salted earth black people were, you know, going. But that's what a colored man. I actually heard they had a really good like street team. Like they went to barbershops. They did all this stuff. And they actually, to me, did get a lot of, um, you know, um, Regular salted ear black people up in up in there. Yeah, I'm not I mean, sure exactly it was, it what was kind of full crap. of normies the night that I went. It was yeah, just like normies is a good word for it. And and I don't feel like this thing um, accomplishes that either. I mean, I'm not sure if it's trying to. I mean, to its. To I don't its, think he cares. Yeah, I don't think he cares. You know. Yeah. What do you uh, What do you think he's actually trying to do here? Because it, it'll be let's we should read this note from the playwright and then unpack it. Because like yeah, yeah. I didn't buy this for a minute, and I'm wondering what he's actually trying to do here. Um, do you know what it reminds me of? Right, um, the Joker movie. Right, a lot of people were trying to analyze <laughs> the politics of the Joker, but I'm like, this thing doesn't have any politics because oh, it's just nah. a dopey guy who is just recreating Taxi Driver, um, King of Comedy, and Fight Club, and because each of those is political, um, you know he's accidentally making something political because he's just aping them and, you know, without any actual, and he said himself that the movie's not political and a lot of people were like, you're just being humble. Like, you know, there's, there were stories like that. I'm like, no, this guy was just like, you know, um, just regurgitating like other movies and I feel like that's what this guy's doing. He's just saying statements that, you know, are in vogue, whether they make sense or not. So I think there's two statements he's 
trying to simultaneously say it, but they don't go together. One is like the whole thing that's very popular about subverting, like, oh, uh, I'm sick of slave movies. I want to do a movie about black joy and I want to do a movie about, you know, being soft. So people are taking like classically like depressing um, black settings and then making something surprisingly like, you know, um, happy about it, you know? And then the other thing is like reclaiming things that black people were supposedly quote unquote excluded from like this kind of thing where you you know the whole bridgerton thing and all these different things where people acting like just being true to history somehow is excluding them like they were supposed to be in uh oliver twist but they missed their in the black people missed their invite somehow <laughs> this, this weird mindset i don't know where it's it comes so from abs- it's so absurd it's so absurd i, I can tell you exactly what it comes from it's, it's it's something that's dodged england for years and, and people of color in england oh, there boy. is an envy <laughs> No, it's true. There is an envy that they they still see the Western canon as the elite canon. Oh, yeah, mm, totally. Right? And so, and because they have that envy, they create like it's almost like a it's almost like a David Lynch lost highway Mulholland drive delusion where they like literally create a world in their brain where that makes sense. But yeah. like when you look at it like a lost highway, you look at the world, you're like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. This is absolutely absurd, bro. It does not make any sense, but they've convinced themselves that it makes sense. They treat the Western canon and uh, Western history, not even just like the canon, but the literal history as like some cool party. They uh, weren't allowed. Like there was a velvet rope and they didn't get in. Right. They're like mad about it. But there's so many black stories or whatever that you could, you know, find and take. But they don't have any, they don't see any value in that. And right. I think no. what this guy is doing, he's, he's trying to combine those two trends. Uh, the whole Bridgerton thing, but also the black joy. So it ends up not making sense because it's almost like he's saying, oh, Black people don't have to be tragic. We're not going to do that today. We're going to have joy. But he's doing it with a white tragedy. So it makes no, no sense because it would make sense to me if he did something like Roots or something that was like a tragic black thing, like Raising the Sun. And then he's like, oh, I'm sick of things being tragic for black people. Uh-uh, we're not doing that today. This right. time Raising the Sun's going to end with joy. I mean, I think it would be a sucky idea, but <laughs> it would at least be coherent. But he's doing this thing where he's almost acting like Hamlet is a, was always a black play or that somehow right. it was making a statement on black people that he's somehow subverting. And it just makes it's just confusing. You, you, you know what I'm trying to say? It makes no sense. So trying to describe something that makes no sense makes me feel like I'm not making sense. <laughs> can you, so, so can, Trevor, can you read the, um, yeah. the, I, I also don't remember it. Okay. I, I, I want to hear it again. So it says a note from the playwright is an ain't. I don't know if that's a play on something or what, or are we just trying to use Ebonics to, you know, Code switch and sound and impress the white I think people. that's it. No, I, yeah. I think that's actually just it. I think it's I it's like I'm I'm a I'm a white guy sitting in this in this theater. I'm opening this thing up. Is an A and so wow, this is going to be a little different from what I normally. Oh, see. I'm getting something authentic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this ain't Shakespeare. Don't get me wrong. I love Shakespeare. This just ain't him. This ain't a tragedy. It literally is him. Yeah. It literally yeah. is. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, and, and this is what I mean when I say, like, he's trying to subvert something but it makes no sense. This ain't a tragedy. While I appreciate and weep through tragedies on a daily basis, both imagined and real, this play is not that. 
okay, but why are you making this not a tragedy? It's, it's kind yeah, of what, what, what's right. confusing me. And he seems to be pretending he's doing it for <laughs> racial reasons. But, uh, you know, Hamlet, even if he did Othello and somehow tried to give Othello a happy ending, at least he didn't say there's <laughs> kind of racial reasoning yeah. behind it. That's a really funny yeah. idea. And Hamlet, yeah, because and Hamlet has no historical racism in it. Like, it'd be no. one thing if Hamlet, you know, had this, like, you know, if it was maybe something like uh, Merchant, Merchant of Venice, Venice right, has, like, right, stuff right, with, right, like, with, like, with like Jews. I can understand that, but like, literally, Hamlet has nothing, nothing in it, you at know, all. <laughs> at all. This is a play about families stuck in a few cycles that their youngest members discover they can break. In real time, we will see family cycles dissolve to make room for something else to grow. This play is offering tenderness next to softness. How are they two oh. different things? Oh. I don't understand. I love it when tenderness is offered next to softness. <laughs> yeah. softness. Basically, you, you, you have a glop that just kind of falls down. <laughs> this play is offering tenderness next to softness as a practice of living. This Sorry. Play- no, no, no. Hold on. Read that again. That What does that mean? Nothing. This play is offering tenderness <laughs> next to softness as a practice of living. Hell yes, dude. Uh, actually, I'll tell you what I think it means. I think it means this is like blackness, but without the stuff that scares you. Like, Ooh. you know, gangster rapping yeah. and, you know, uh, straight black men being, you know, scary. I feel like that's kind of what also Also to- firmness, because like, think about it, like softness and tenderness is the opposite of like firm right mm, yeah and black you know and black theater historically amiria baraka at, at its most like militant say amiria baraka black arts movement is super firm yeah. right you leave dutchmen and things like that with a real firm idea of the political world and the social world and then maybe like august wilson it's not as firm as a Baraka, but it's pretty fucking firm. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, you you've in that case, these are stories told through the lives of people who feel like real people, but you still come away from it understanding why capitalism yeah. is destroying our lives. Like, yeah, right, and it's really firm. So now, I, I I think he's for me that's previewing the lack of any kind of real commitment. He's kind of mm. even if it's conscious or subconscious, I think he's kind of like letting us know, you know. I think you're not really going to get anything firm. I think there's also something like uh, sexual in there, too, because it's like, you know, tender and soft is kind of like a flaccid penis. You know what I mean? And a lot of those people that um, you brought up, in addition to being like uh, ideologically firm or, you know, like in terms of insight, they have a virility to yeah. the, the work and some of the better work. There's something where it's like, okay, this man here is having the struggles of a, of a, of a, of a man. Uh, uh, to keep using the popular example, like uh, raising the son, is somebody really struggling to be a, be a man in the traditional uh, sense, whether he uh, achieves it or not is, you know, a different story or whether it's a toxic pursuit, but there is a, lot of virility that comes in the um you know performance similar to like streetcar named desire you know which is not black but i think i'm just thinking of things that have a lot of virility and i feel like tender and soft kind of this you think okay this is it's gonna be impotent you know uh if we're using uh sexual analogies this there's, there's impotence to this you know nothing's gonna penetrate you you know don't 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 worry about that you you're not gonna feel emotionally raped from from this because we can't get it up you know don't don't worry yeah it's 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 campy. It's uh whatever. Um, 
This play is celebrating blackness that is traditional and weird and lonely and happy and grieving and honest and frightened and brave and sexy and churchified and liberated and poetic. Huh? Yeah. Huh? I got nothing. It's just that's just <laughs> yeah. That's, that that is word salad by def, by definition. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, this is this is buzzword salad because I feel like it's not just word salad, <laughs> but it's words. Salad. It's great. words that are very much in vogue. You know what I mean? Buzzword salad, yeah. a buzzfeed, if you will. <laughs> a buzz. We're being buzzfed. <laughs> I hope you love this buzzfed. <laughs> I hope you love this buffet play. of buzzfeeding. I love this play, not because I wrote it, and I hate that he's writing like with these kind of fakey bonics, like you know. Uh, apostrophe cause I love this play not because I wrote it I love it because it makes me laugh and cry and sing and all of the things I hope you feel unencumbered to experience and this is very nitpicky but they misspelled unencumbered uh, it's supposed to be U-N-E-N-C-U-M and it's U-N-I-N-C-U-M unencumbered? Um, it's I'm spelled sure. in there with an I? I? yeah it's spelled with an I what? okay uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not crazy right? it's, un, it's unencumbered right? Uh, unencumbered yeah. is how it is correctly spelled. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is U N I N. And I was telling uh, M two me after we saw. I'm like, this right there is representative of the whole show. Like, how many eyes did this see and nobody noticed? And I'm like, nobody really cares. People are treating this. I hate to say it, but people are treating it like um, my kid did, did this. You know, fucked up ashtray and it's lumpy or you know i've used an example many times or, or you know a kid comes home from like second grade art class and draws you, gives you a picture of the family and it, it looks all mutated but you just put it up because you know he's in second grade you gotta have lower expectations you're not gonna nitpick the shading like the lighting hit wrong what were you doing you're not gonna, and i feel like that's kind of this i feel like they just let them do whatever like i i just can't believe anybody was paying attention uh you know, as far as proofreading this thing, if they had an editor or the proofreader would have missed un- unencumbered unless they weren't really caring, you know, what was in there. Yeah. Or, or, or maybe they thought it was some kind of a uh, Ebonics thing. Like, no, the, no, the it, wrote, you know, that's just a typo. I mean, look, like, they let Amanda Gorman become famous. And she says shit in her poetry. <laughs> that make no, that make no <laughs> yeah. damn sense. So, no, but I, 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 it's funny. I was talking to a friend about this and. I, I think there's a way they also with black people let that shit happen and they know that shit don't make no sense. And they think it's cute. They all oh, look at the Negroes trying to be poetic, even though it's wrong, but whatever. You know, I think I think it's 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 it's, it's really embarrassing that they don't notice it, that they're just like weird novelty people and they let you be like literally grammatically incorrect. When you like in the moments you're supposed to be, that's one thing. If you're like doing a play on words, you know, like somebody like, but like people, people like Langston Hughes or like Zora Neale Hurston, they were fucking super literate. Yes, and so extremely they, so precise you, with language, right? Yeah, and you could tell when they were doing some like funny shit or when they were like, you know, like you know, you you could tell when they were being off. They would never make a mistake like that. Yeah, yeah, and if if they caught if like the early uh you know galley of the playbill came out or whatever and they saw that fucking typo in their note they would be like you need to fix this yo fucking said, fix this shit who, who did <laughs> yeah, that yeah you know, Langston yeah. and Langston I'm like what the hell get the fuck out of here with that <laughs> Baldwin come on you think he would have did that yeah right hell no but but how do you think they got through do you think like no one really read it or they read it and noticed it but just didn't care because they're like oh I, I think, think it's the second 
Yeah, I think he probably submitted a version of it with the typo in it. And rather than be, I mean, if, if we really want to get into the weeds here, I do actually think that this might reflect sort of what you guys are saying about the, the, the creative process here, where normally somebody would submit something like that and the note would be, hey, there's a typo here. Why don't we fix that real quick? But I think that maybe, maybe, again, and this might be reading more into it than is really there, but I do think that on some level that the artistic... Um, leaders at a lot of primarily white institutions are afraid on some level of giving the criticism, giving the notes that are about the actual artistic integrity of a given thing out of fear that they are going to come across as being imperious or unwoke or, you know, that sort of thing. And in fairness, there are some people who are incredibly racist who do death by a thousand cuts to, you know, exclude people from their institutions. But it is an entirely different thing when it's like, I don't know if I can correct this typo because is he going to be mad about it? You know, it's just like, yeah. Does that make any sense? Totally. Because totally. I, so, so I've heard a few things about a lot of these like plays that we've seen that have come about um, like, you know, Fat Ham and, and I've heard like they've kind of zipped through the developmental process mm. when it comes to plays. Like they don't get the same kind of scrutiny and i think there is this thing because of you know the we see you movement and mm-hmm. all that where they're kind of just like well does it really matter at this point if we like give it rigorous development it doesn't if yeah. anything and it might make us look better it's representation behind- yeah and also we get behind you yeah i don't yeah. really understand the black voice you know what I'm saying? So I can't really criticize you when mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, I don't know, man. There is a certain level where a play is a play. Yes, yes. <laughs> and God, if you yes. know enough about theater, you could go, this doesn't work. Because I also I think, I think don't... in a weird way, they thought it was authentic, too, to have misspelled, you know, kind of like, Brian thought it gave some character to it. It made it seem more authentic. But isn't that racist, bro? Black. Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. It's, so, it's so racist. <laughs> Josh, I cut you off. What were you saying? Oh, no, I was just going to say that. Um, oh, God, let me see if I can get it back. Uh, <laughs> I'm just looking at my notes, too. There's probably um, a response to encumbered and the whole um, being afraid to. Developmental um, development process, process that. things oh, yeah, of that nature. Um, in the, the, the We See You White American Theater and all that stuff. Oh, oh, in a good play versus a bad play. Right. <laughs> um, Throughout this thing, I was, and I, I think we, we should probably uh, pivot into talking a little bit about the actual content of the play, and maybe I can just use some specific examples here of like things that I found frustrating, right? Because at the beginning of the play, um, you've got basically the Hamlet equivalent. Uh, his name is Juicy in this play. And um, he's coming out and he's talking with a friend who's just openly watching porn on his computer. And is like, yeah, man, I jacked off to this. And th- this scene, this, I don't know about you guys, but this first scene to me, which is supposed to be kind of setting up the, you know, ghost of the dead father coming back in the realm of Hamlet, that sort of thing. I was like, this sucks. Like, first of all, this character, not the, I don't think it was the actor's fault. The actor was giving it his absolute best, but the character as written was deeply fucking annoying. This was basically the Horatio equivalent character. And it's like, what are you trying to establish right now? What are you setting up? Are you setting up that like, oh, all these other guys are just about jerking it to porn and he isn't like that because he's not over sex like the rest of these guys. Like, what the fuck is this trying to do here? I'm you not, you know sure. you 
You know who he reminded me of? He the reminded me of John yeah the, the 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 Horatio no yeah. An- no Anthony Ramos who played Mars Blackman in um the She's Gotta Have It Netflix reboot. Mm-hmm. You know it's crazy. I I was gonna say John Leguizamo, but you said Anthony Ramos, but Anthony Ramos reminds me of John Leguizamo too. No, and I was gonna say so, but that thing Ramos is doing a bad version of Leguizamo oh, for sure. that. But yeah, remember Ramos was in Hamilton, right? That's where Anthony Ramos and he. I didn't oh, see he? him in Hamilton. Oh. Yeah, but I think I've seen him acting. He's yeah, he never was never really different. He was uh, Philip Hamilton in Hamilton. I saw it with the original yeah. Broadway cast, so I do remember that. Before. Mm, and I just know that's been a lot. So, like, so to me, it was. I, it goes into to me this guy's consciousness. The writer it was a James Ill James. Is his name? Is that the, the I writer? I think it's pronounced Iams, maybe, but it uh, looks like I James, James I James. James I but it's James yeah, Iams. James I Iams. James Iams. Um, kind of like, like his consciousness of like um ripping from these big pieces. Which I honestly, the more that I think about it, I think it was really deliberate that he did this like strength and not just like in a deliberate, in a kind of like, um, let me try to be like a strange loop, grab something from Hamilton, grab something from Hamlet to like get attention. I think he even had maybe some bigger intentions uh, with it because it's mm-hmm. so much. Like he's uh, grabbing forgot, from so much. I forgot mm-hmm. something else that I think is pretty blatantly in there. It's Tyler Perry. It's very yeah. much yeah. trying to be like Tyler Perry yeah. as, yes. as, as well. For sure. Yeah. Tyler he's Perry writes real life, so guys. <laughs> <laughs> but he's grabbing so much. And like, but yeah, that character annoyed. I mean, my experience with the play was like when it opened, I knew within five minutes yeah. I was I was going yeah. to not like it. Um, based just on I thought the writing, it was so like weirdly on the nose. Even more than a lot of this writing, I feel, is on the nose these days, but it's so on the nose. What I wasn't prepared for, though, was like it's like big statement moments to be so fucking absurd. We can get to those later. And like, disconnected uh, from the remainder of the play. Like those moments yeah. didn't get set up in any meaningful way. No, and so it just felt like oh, here's a big earned. moment. Yeah. Um, Nothing was earned. Yeah. And in another, I think another thing, uh, M2 made to that point of like the stuff that's just like there. And it's like, hey, here's some more stuff. Here's some more exposition. Here's another thing that's happening. <laughs> is that when um, the ghost of Hamlet's dad, you know, or King Hamlet and, you know, the original play, I don't remember their names in this version. So I'm just going to use the names from actual yeah. Hamlet. All I remember is Juicy. Juicy. That's I remember it. Juicy and that's it. Yeah. Um, so uh, when King Hamlet comes out, um, we, we are now treated to just a wealth of stereotypes about bad black fathers. Uh, plus, he's like yeah. ultra violent on top of that as well, which I think it was trying to do like a high pitched satirical thing where it was like this guy is over the top in a number of extreme ways that are, are so extreme that it like pushes the boundaries of what even believable is. But again, there's this weird tonal thing that's going on where it's like, am I supposed to take this character seriously? Because if I am, this guy is so fucking bad that I think I should fear him, hate him. I'm not really sure what my reaction to him should be. Well, that's the big problem I found was that a lot of people in this felt like they were all acting in different things mm-hmm. because there were a lot of these moments of like darkness and flashes of like, you know, uh, something really gross, like with, like with the father slash uncle. And it's like, like you said, how abusive was his father or right. what's up with this uncle or if this uncle did kill the father. Like there's some things that kind of 
almost have to be a tragedy. Like, how are you going to have something about an abusive father and then his um, brother who may have killed him and bedded the mother? Like, some things don't really lend themselves to not being tragic. So it's just very weird that he chose this one. I mean, like, there's some other tragic stuff where all you have to do is change one or two things. And it didn't have to end. You know, like, like, like for example, uh, Romeo and Juliet. That's something that's very easy to turn from a tragedy to a happy ending by just not right. having him drink the poison. You know, right. but right. with this, with Hamlet, it's so baked into the very essence of the play, how the fucked upness of it, you know? And, and once it committed to the premise of, yeah, I'm the ghost of your um, father who's tasking you with proving your manhood and killing your... Uh, uncle you know can you do it like i just don't see and then when they commit to having the father be abusive and the uncle be whatever because that guy he gave it his all you know and he really showed a lot of menace and the guy's even yeah. physically abusing uh the boy yeah what to suddenly end with psych it's, like, it's joy time it's like oh, what yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. suddenly the actor playing the father slash brother is cleaning up and is nice now so i'm like wait a minute another example of nothing being earned if you showed the work of hamlet working with the father i mean i mean working with the uncle to find a common ground to make him maybe less homophobic to make mm. him you know find something but that was like actual writing yes it's a kind of understanding of how humans work yeah that's too much work we're just gonna have him fake die they magically resurrect and now he's cool oh, man now he's fine with with, with the drag show uh, something like is he still the same guy i was trying to figure out are we watching the act are we supposed to be watching the actor now or is he still supposed to be that character and if he's yeah. the same character why is he so cool now like <laughs> and, yeah. and i would say the other the other to the other point and i would just uh, I'm too, I'm too, i know you have another thought as well so i want to let you get in a sec but um Something that I noticed too, to your point about how these people and the way that they express their, they, they show us what they've been through or don't show us what they haven't been through, rather than hearing about maybe how this abuse affected Juicy in a meaningful way, or maybe seeing the way that his, you know, mom deals with things, uh, and maybe that is part of what gets her into the state that she's in, rather than her just being very affectionate in one moment and completely withholding in the next for plot reasons. Instead, we just have this big fucking monologue about inherited trauma and how like you've inherited so much trauma. I have too. We all have inherited trauma. I'm like, this is, this is just bad, right? This is just straight up. Not good writing. You need to show me these things. Do not it's tell trendy. me, show me. What happened is these are all trendy topics. So the fact that they're trendy and in the circles that this play is made for, they hear it all the time. I think it's like a borrowed emotional response or a borrowed um, kind of thing where, hey, in our world, this is settled. You know, uh, trauma is inherited and people do after things about trauma. You've seen the other plays that talk about this. So you don't need me to do it. It's almost like a footnote that tells yeah. you, go see this. So there's so many plays and uh, tragedy porn black stuff out there that's all about uh, intergenerational trauma and, you know, all these different things. I think they're kind of almost treating it like you don't even, it's kind of like when you watch one of those Marvel movies and it's clear that you're meant to see five other movies. Yeah. And this one. Yeah. <laughs> That's what this felt like. Like you meant to see five other, other things in this genre of black art. And if you saw it, then you'll know all the shorthands. Oh, intergenerational trauma. Okay. I got it. Homophobic dad. I got it. I'm, I'm, I've done my homework, you know? But you can signpost those things in a way that doesn't insult the audience's intelligence. You don't have to be that didactic about it. The play 
as it began to kind of go along, once once the father, um, that you know, we, we see the the the, the 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 dead ghosts, and then they established the whole thing of the the uncle possibly being the killer and all of that, and the mom, you know, they, they established a kind of pretense, and where we were, we know it's Hamlet, you know, it's, it's synonymous but different. Once they start kind of going into the trauma stuff and the and the inherited trauma, I started getting really annoyed because then I realized also the guy doesn't understand Hamlet, the play. Mm. There's a huge element to Hamlet where Hamlet's annoying. Mm-hmm. He's actually a, 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 a the thing that people like kind of focus on about Hamlet is that he's he's indecisive. He's also a brat. He's a spoiled yeah. rich kid. Yeah. Right. And I found it interesting that he seemed to take out all of that stuff. I was like, well, why are we watching essentially? Like, is it is like a middle class family? I was like, no. Honestly, if you're going to do a black version of Hamlet, you should actually do it with a high class. They should black be rich. Family. Absolutely. They should be super fucking rich. Right. And the kids were bratty. Now, in this play, the kids were bratty, but they were making their brattiness somehow earned because of their generational trauma. And I'm watching it and I'm just like, stop complaining. Y'all are fucking annoying. Well, and, and I, bratty kids. <laughs> I, I think too. Yeah. Like just to the point of like, I feel like we do this every time we talk about theater, uh, uh, Trevor, like we always end up thinking about like, what would a good version of this play look like? <laughs> um, right. But like, for one thing, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever that Juicy would be going to the University of Phoenix online. That doesn't track with Hamlet at all. He would be going to no. fucking Harvard or yeah. you could have him go to Howard if you wanted that piece of specificity there, right? But like, don't make him be going to University of Phoenix and don't make his but, mom be stealing his tuition money away from him to pay for a grill or whatever. But, that makes yeah. no sense. But I think None. in his mind, he was doing subversion, but it didn't matter the subversion made any sense or added anything to it, which, which it didn't. Like, I mean, you, you got to justify these subversions and and none of these subversions improves anything. It, it just kind of right. makes him think, oh, you know, this is black. So... And I want to be like Tyler Perry, so I want to be blue collar people, and I don't care if I'm putting a square peg into a round hole. I'm going to jam this thing in there to to keep um, you know up with what I'm doing, which is you know uh, you know we still never finished reading this. Um. <laughs> Wait a minute, there was more? I thought, yeah. that, was I it. thought that was it too. You I can't do this to me, it. dude. I'll finish it, bro. Yeah, yeah. Let me just let me just finish it. I mean, uh, I know that you will meet this play with everything you've experienced getting from point A to this particular point B. Hell, everything you've experienced in your life. You brought what? all of that with you. And I hope this play offers you a space of gratitude. That's true. The woman in front of me was dealing with the trauma from fighting with Bernie Bros and Catholics online. (laughs) (laughs) That you have lived through so much life and still can find corners of yourself that are soft enough to ignite joy. Uh, I love my soft corners. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. Or you know, or you know, whatever your softness gives. Personally, oh my my softness gives laughing softness and kissing my teeth. But you know, do what feels good, and and that's basically what this is. It's just a giant. It's worse, I remember it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty bad. Uh, but it's just a giant. And, and I always talk to him to me about this about how everything now is made to affirm you. And this whole preamble is just a promise. This is going to affirm you. It's not going to challenge you. That's what softness means. Like whatever troubles you came in with today, this is going to help you deal with them. This is therapy. This is whatever. Like nothing in here is 
going to challenge you, like say the way the, the Dutchman challenges you or something. Like it's it's just totally like, you know, we're going to pander to you. And that's fine because that's what people um, want nowadays. Something that crossed my mind too when I was um, thinking about this whole thing and, and how it was um, constructed, there's so much gayness in it, right? And this perfect example of something that you're just doing to subvert stuff, but it doesn't to me really fit in with Hamlet, but there's all these plays that Shakespeare has. I think Midsummer Night's Dream is one of them where there's there's gender bending disguises, mm-hmm. men dressed as women at parties. Uh, as You Like women. It is uh, similar in that regard. Yeah, As You Like It. There's a couple of gender bending ones and I'm just thinking the act of being closeted of performance, like the way um, the soldier comes out at the end and is so unearned and everything. Like, why not just find but I think he doesn't, I think he not only doesn't understand Hamlet, I don't think he probably understands much Shakespeare at all. He just knows Hamlet. No. He just knew Hamlet's the biggest, most serious play that people talk about with Shakespeare. So I'm just going to choose Hamlet because that's the one that is, uh, has the most recognition. That's the one that I want to steal uh, the the borrowed emotional response from. But there's so many other Shakespeare plays that I think would have worked perfectly and seamlessly because first off, they're already comedies. So you wouldn't have to like try to right. force a, a yeah. tragedy to be a comedy. And they would flow so well with the themes of uh, what does gender mean? What does sexual orientation mean? The what Tempest like- would have been better. Mm, that's a good one, too. The Tempest would have been better because a lot of that has to do with, you know, Linny. That has to do with their lineage yeah. and like, you know, and also children choosing their own pathways from their fathers. You know, like Hamlet doesn't really have anything to do with that. It doesn't really, you know, and it's interesting because he he superficially takes pieces. So I, I think what he then thought was that I can make a, a masculinity conversation out of this. Right. So this is what I'll do. I'll, I'll make this into, you know, this whole thing of revenge is some kind of masculine thing. And it's, you know, and, and, and all the conversations around. What I was about to say, in all the comment mm-hmm. around toxic masculinity, what I was going to say, it, it becomes good fodder to like basically write some bullshit and then be soft at the end. You know? <laughs> By the way, speaking of toxic masculinity, speaking of toxic masculinity, I went on um, Show Score, which is one of those sites, if you're not familiar, where people can just leave reviews. It's like IMDb for theater, basically. And half of the fucking comments are talking about how this play is just such an incisive exploration of toxic masculinity and i'm like it's just not i'm sorry but it's not it it doesn't it wants to be that but it just isn't that and i think what was really frustrating about it too was that i didn't think that everything about this play was terrible i thought that like the guy who played juicy i liked some i I thought he was doing the best that he could with what he had to work with to be honest Mm -hmm. um and the times that he actually started speaking the Shakespeare, because there are a couple moments in here where there are actual excerpts of Hamlet slotted in, he was really good with the language. And it made me remember how much better of a play Hamlet is than what I was watching. And that's <laughs> a problem. Talk. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I found... It's it, it was hard for me to evaluate what the actors were doing. I actually was familiar with one of the actors. He played um, Larry, the the um, oh yeah, which I also want to talk about the um, the, the military guy because that was actually his arc was the arc in the show that made me the most angry. Okay, oh, interesting. Yeah. That was the one that I was 
a on like a as a writer as a dramatic writer it, it, it was totally unearned but also just this 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 way that they do fake culpability so i felt like mm-hmm. he probably was writing on um, the, the the writer was probably writing the play and realized that juicy doesn't have a moment where he looks a little dirty yeah right because yeah at this point everything's kind of happening to him and he never really does anything right and i guess in the original you know and, and then he goes he goes back to the original hamlet where um the the hamlet's probably biggest nasty thing is how horrible he is to ophelia all the time right. and larry's kind of like you first think he's supposed to be like Fortinbras, but he's then i think though. at one huh He's Laertes. Laertes, right? Yeah. But in a way, I think he also becomes Ophelia in a moment. Yes. Well, and then right? also at one point, Juicy even says some of Ophelia's lie. He sings the song. He does? He sings okay. the They're Dead and Gone song. It's, uh, it's very confusing. I, I didn't realize that. So, it, it, that was one moment where it was like trying to appear high-minded, <laughs> but ultimately just ended up more confusing, which, by the way, yeah. was the exact same problem that Hamlet, there was a production a few years back at the public also at the Anspacher with Oscar Isaac that fell into a lot oh, of the same about traps that about trying to be way too fucking high-minded. But go, yeah. sorry, go ahead, him to me. But yeah, so, I mean, to to, to, to remind the people, so uh, the character Larry, he's uh, the son of a, of another, of a, of a family friend, if I remember correctly, he also has a sister who also is queer yep. and the family friend and, is this lady. She's basically the Polonius stand. Yeah. The Polonius. Exactly. It's, it's, it, you know, it's, she's never, it's never really specific. So they come over to the barbecue and, um, the Larry character, he, you know, it, it's weird because like, he's kind of stoic, and he's there and you don't really get a sense of who he is. But then suddenly he gets thrust into this moment with Juicy where it's revealed that he is gay and he's, he's in the closet. Right. And it's so like, 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 like swooped in there. But like it swooped in there and you're not surprised by it only because you just know this is what a writer like this is going to do. He's going to ham fist it. it. It's a contrivance, right? Because not only is he gay, he's also been carrying a flame for Juicy for like fucking years. For years. And like he comes on really strong. Right. right? And him and Juicy have this interaction um, I forget how it kind of ends. Like, I, I, do they get? Do, I, think, I, think, I think they get interrupted. Or yeah. Something. Well, fucking yeah. Um, Polonius, the Polonius equivalent, or somebody walks in and fucking slaps somebody. Larry slaps Juice. Somebody slaps well, that's somebody. What that's what I mean. It comes later. Yeah. Oh, that's it comes later. later. Okay. There's a moment where like they kind of stop that, and right. then Juicy gets in this like. So Juicy had. So I, I feel like the writer felt like he had to establish that Juicy can get a little dirty. Right. So there's a whole sequence where Juicy basically outs Larry. That's right. right. And that's, then Larry slaps him for outing him. Yeah. And, yeah. Sla- and then slaps him for outing him, right? It slams and, his head in the table, too. Yeah, yeah. Fucks him up. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I was so angry by that because I was like, dude, you're just contriving a moment for Ju- for Juicy to have some kind of like edge to him. And it really makes no sense. No. Right. And then the extra thing that made me then angry was he basically forgives him at the end of the play by getting in drag and dancing right. at the end and him and Juicy walk off together. Right. Which was, which like, was, what? 
this really incredible, like in terms of the production itself, a really incredible audiovisual coup de theater. It's the classic thing. By the way, I don't know why every fucking off-Broadway show ends this way these days, where yeah, like the yeah. set falls apart and then there's like a big moment. In this case, it was like the walls of the house sliding aside. Uh, Larry comes out. He's in a full-on glam drag kind of situation. Yeah, it's like the music's really fucking loud. Everybody dances. And honestly, like this moment from a directorial perspective in terms of how it's put together is fun. In the context of the play, it makes no goddamn sense whatsoever. None. At Zero. It it, it, it it has no context within the play, but it falls within the writer's context that we're just going to like not go into tragedy. Mm-hmm. Because look, if you out somebody in front of their parents, right? Like... <laughs> That's pretty fucked up, man. Yeah, it's going to take a while to rebuild that bridge if it ever happens. (laughs) If ever! If it ever gets rebuilt. Let alone the fact that he had feelings for the guy, right? So that adds a whole other layer to it. It's just, it's, it, in these, it's so interesting, right? Because every time that I, that this, that Fat Ham in its play, in, in the structure of the play, makes a major departure from Hamlet, it is always, always, always more confusing. It, it, yeah. it does nothing but obfuscate the plot and obfuscate the relationships between these characters. And I just was fucking, between the unfunny jokes and these random, like, times that the characters would fucking change on a dime for the sake of a plot contrivance, I just felt myself fucking, like, sitting in my seat being like, why does everybody think this is good? I'm hearing people laughing, I'm hearing people lean in, I'm hearing people crying, but this is not good! Yeah, me neither. All right, y'all, so... That is the end of part one. Go to, again, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two. Be good.